0: We have come to this crucial passage in Habakkuk. And one of the commentators that I read said that this passage is one of the most complex passages in the entire book. But they also said that if you are patient enough and wade through it, uh, that it's also the key to understanding the book. And so in light of that, I thought it was worth spending two weeks on it. Let me pray for us as we do that. God, as we... We open your word. We ask that we would see Jesus, who we believe is preached and present within. It's in his name that I do pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it was some 50 years before the time of Jesus Christ, and there was a community of Jews who had moved out into the desert. They lived between the Jewish desert and the Dead Sea on a plateau that was barren and limestone. They had moved out there to live in this place that was really uninhabitable. They had moved out there because they believed that things had gotten so bad with their society. They said that the, the priests are illegitimate, the temple is corrupt, and worse than all of that, worse than all of that is the sign of God's judgment upon them. The Romans ruled. And so, what did this community look to for for a sense of how to live in this barren, awful situation in the face of such adversity? Their rallying cry was Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. Some 100 years later, there were... Jewish communities throughout the, uh, well, there were synagogues, and they were mixed synagogues, actually, Jew and Gentile that were uh, scattered throughout the capital of the empire at the time. These synagogues, these communities, they were uh, a bit flummoxed because they believed that God had sent his Messiah, Jesus Christ, but they just weren't sure how to make sense of... Of everything they saw around them in light of that. And so this eccentric, crazy rabbi named Paul writes a letter to them. And in the beginning of that letter, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith through faith, as it is written, as it is written in Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. The theme, the thesis statement to the book of Paul's letters to the Romans, is Habakkuk 2.4. It was some 15 years later that the same community in Rome was Suffering under persecution. Some of their members had actually stopped attending worship. Others of their members had given up on the faith altogether. And so their pastor writes to them. He writes a sermon to them. Encouraging them to persevere, to press on. And what did he say? Yet a little while and the coming one will come. And will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are those who have faith and preserve their souls. Where did the author of Hebrews go to encourage the community living in Rome that was about to face a second wave of persecution? Habakkuk 2.4. I could actually go on and on. You see, time and time again, when communities faced adversity and they wanted to know how to live, they looked to Habakkuk 2.4 and the righteous shall live by faith. Well, we are facing our own uh, adversity, aren't we? Is it the worst adversity that the world has ever known? No, not by a long shot. Is it the worst adversity that God's people have ever known? No, not by a long shot. But it is adversity nevertheless. So where do we go to figure out how to navigate this time? I think we should go to where these communities have gone. To Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Because those... Those who want to face adversity need faith. There are three ways in which faith, I think, enables us to face adversity that we see in this passage. First, faith enables you to face adversity by enabling you to endure. Let me back up and remind you of where we're at. Habakkuk has cried out to God. He said, why is all this injustice here? How long will it last? God answers him and he says, look, I see the evil around you, and I'm going to answer, and, and and I have a response for that evil. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring an evil wicked nation to come and crush you. I'm going to answer the evil with more evil. I'm going to solve the evil with more evil. And Habakkuk goes, God, this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense of who you are. It doesn't make sense of how the world works. It just doesn't make sense. And so God answers again. He says, Habakkuk, I have an answer for you. We looked at this last week. I have an answer, but... You're going to have to wait for it. Verse three, it awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. If it seems slow, wait for it. In other words, Habakkuk, an answer is coming that is going to resolve the questions in your mind and the dilemma in your heart, but you're going to have to press on until it comes because it's coming in the future, it hastens to the end, and those who read about it are going to have to run to it. They're going to have to run into the future, Habakkuk, so you're going to have to press on, you're going to have to endure. You know, it is... It's difficult to press on, and some of us are asking how to press on. I was I was actually having uh, a meeting with someone a, a month ago or so, and and they were asking the question. They were like, "Look, it it looks like this thing that we're facing, this pandemic, like it's going to be here a while." And so I've started asking the question: not how do I hold on, but how do I actually how do I actually flourish? What does it look like to persevere? and to press on and to endure during this period? How how do I can t- carry on as a disciple of Christ, a flourishing disciple of Jesus Christ? And the answer is that if, if you want to patiently endure, to wait to the end, to press on, then you have to live by faith. I mean, you, you know this, right? I mean, if you go to the DMV, You're going to go to the DMV tomorrow and you're going to go at three o'clock and the DMV is going to close at five o'clock. And because it's the DMV, there's going to be a line of a hundred people in front of you. And you're going to look at that line and you're going to say, I don't know that if I should wait on this. And you're going to talk to the person. You're going to say, how many people are in front of me? You know, who's at the front desk and they're going to say a hundred people. And you're going to say, am I going to make it through? Because I mean, at five o'clock you're done. And they say, I think, you say, I think I'll come back tomorrow. And they say, now, well, you'll be at the end, but you'll make it. You'll make it. And you say, well, what, I think I'll just come back tomorrow. And they say, actually, this is the shortest the line has been in months. Now, you have two choices right there. You either believe them, and then you endure the plastic seat and the stale air and the ticking deep and and like watching the numbers count down, right? In in like the really close confined area and the paint chips that are falling on your hair. That's not dandruff, that's the paint chips. Like you endure that or you say, I don't trust you, I don't believe you, I'm going to Goleta. And you don't wait. And you don't endure. You see, anything, if you're going to wait, you have to actually have Faith. You have to trust. To the degree that you are able to trust the person behind the counter who said it to you, to that degree you will wait. And in the same way, to the degree that you are able to trust in the God who cannot lie. It will not lie, he says. To the God who is faithful. To that degree you will be able to endure. See, it's faith, that faith, that enables you to wait patiently. Now, let's be honest. Right now, like, it is hard to wait. It is especially hard to wait when you face adversity. It is especially hard to wait right now and to not give up. I mean, I'm tempted to give up on all sorts of things. I mean, if you are, if you are at your job, if you're prepping for classes right now, and you don't know if they're going to be online or not, like, it is so hard to keep going. And to put energy into that. If you're a student, it is so difficult to keep reading. If you don't know, like, wait, am I going back to school or not? If I mean, if you, if you are, it's like simple things like, you know, going to bed early and getting up on time and like diet and exercise that are difficult right now, right? It's hard to press on. We're prone to give up. We're especially prone to give up on... I think, our, our spiritual habits and commitments. It's times like these where we're tempted to give up on prayer. It's times like these where we're tempted to deprioritize corporate worship. It's times like these where we say, well, what's the point in serving? And how can I even do it anyway? It seems to be in vain. But, but listen, listen, listen. Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was actually written once. No, it was John Newton. John Newton was, someone wrote a letter to John Newton once. And they said to him, you know, I'm just not getting a lot out of prayer. That's kind of my translation. And so I don't, I just don't want to do it anymore. And John Newton wrote back and he said, listen, if you don't feel like you're getting anything out of prayer while you're praying, you're certainly not going to get anything out of it while you're not praying. (laughs) And I think it's true about all sorts of things. Why do you press on? He said you press on because you trust that God actually hears you even if you don't feel it. Even if you don't feel like you're getting anything out of it. You you press on because you believe that God is at work. It's faith that believes that God hears prayers that continues to pray. It's faith that believes that God is actually transformatively at work in worship that continues to prioritize worship despite difficulties and inconveniences. It's faith that still believes that God is at work in the world that continues to serve in his mission. It's faith that enables you to endure. That's the first thing. Second thing we see, though, is that it's faith that enables you to anticipate. Anticipate. There's actually a tension in verse 3. I don't know if you saw it. On the one hand, uh, Habakkuk learns that this vision hastens to the end, that it's rushing forward and that it will not delay. So, so this, this vision is coming. It will not delay. It hastens to the end. On the other hand, he's told, verse 3, to wait for it. So, so which is it? Is it imminent or is it far off? Is it going to happen tomorrow? And do I need to anticipate it or do I need to patiently wait for it? And do you know the answer to that? Yes. Yes. That's the tension and that tension, that posture is the same tension that runs throughout the New Testament. Think about the coming of Jesus Christ. We don't know the time or the hour and we need to be ready to endure actually for a long, long time. And yet he could come any moment. Surely I am coming soon. And the posture of the Christian is actually to wait in anticipation Look in verse three, it says, if it seems slow or better, if it is slow, wait for it. It could be slow. It may not be slow. You don't know. You got to be ready for both. And that means that, yes, the Christian waits, but they wait on the edge of their seat. You know, the, the master of suspense was Alfred Hitchcock. And Hitchcock, in talking about how you build suspense, you know what he said? I thought this was really interesting. He said, you actually have to give the game away. The, the audience actually has to know what's going to happen to build the suspense. They have to know that the character is going down. They have to know that they're going to be, you know, that they have to know that there's going to be a, a murder or whatever. But they just can't know When? The fact that they know it's going to happen, but they don't know when, that's what keeps them on the edge of their seat. That's what builds the suspense. And a lot of you, I mean, we, we know that feeling. That feeling. I mean, think about it. What happens when you watch a suspenseful movie? I know what happens. You, you, clo- you close your eyes, you bury your head in a pillow. Some of you are hand grabbers. I mean, you've grabbed people's hands that you don't even know and look down, and you're like, oops, right? I know what I, you do you're anticipating and you're trying to relieve the tension in the edge of your seat that is the posture of God's people that's the posture with which they wait faith enables you to live in that anticipation could you believe that yes at any time at any time God could break in God could come God could answer and so what does it look like to live like that well 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 remember the scene in the movie to live in anticipation means that you actually start living as if it's happening already. Do you ever know that? You don't close your eyes when the scene happens. You close your eyes before it happens, as if it's happening. You don't hold the hand before uh, when it happens. You hold the hand before it happens. You're anticipating it. You're living in anticipation. It's, it's, like, um, it's like when some of you heard that you were going to get a stimulus check. Because you trusted. it that you were going to get a stimulus check, that maybe you went out and maybe you, you believed in that so much that you spent that money on your credit card knowing that it was going to come, right? To the degree in which you, you believed that that money was going to come, you lived in anticipation of it coming and you already started acting as if you already had it, as if it was already in the bank. So to the believer. No, not that we spend money we don't have. So too, the believer lives in anticipation that God is going to fulfill his promise and that Jesus is going to come again. And so here's what it looks like. Faith that believes that Jesus is coming back to throw a party sets out the china in anticipation. Faith that believes that God is actually going to marry a bride and that bride is from every tongue, and every tribe, and every nation, will that faith already start sending out invitations to every tongue, and every tribe, and every nation. Faith that believes that when Jesus comes again, he's going to reconcile all things to himself, anticipates that by living in reconciled relationships now. Faith enables us to anticipate what is to come, and thereby to face the adversity. So, faith enables you to endure, faith enables you to anticipate, but finally, faith enables you to receive. There's this contrast in verse 4. We learned that the righteous live by faith, but this is contrasted a line earlier with the person who is puffed up in their soul. Now, to be puffed up is another way of saying be arrogant. It means to be full of yourself. That's what we would say today. They're full of hot air. And they're insubstantial, but they believe that they are substantial. And here's the point. The person who is puffed up does not have faith. But the person who is humble and is not relying on themselves does have faith. Because if you think you are sufficient, then you, aren't, you don't feel like you need to trust someone else for sufficiency. I mean, you know, if I think that I know more than the mechanic and can do more than the mechanic, then I don't trust the mechanic when he tells me something. If I think maybe not. If, if I think that if, if I don't trust my doctor, then I'm actually not going to rely on his advice for uh, what's going on with my body. If I think that I have the knowledge and resources and skill in myself. To the degree that one recognizes that they do not have the knowledge, that they do not have the skill, that they do not have the resources, they will look somewhere else and that will allow them to receive the advice, the knowledge, the resources, the skill from elsewhere. Faith enables you to receive what? What? Righteousness. Look, it's really interesting. It's an interesting question. The the, the text says that the righteous will live by faith. But, but why, does, why does it say the righteous will live by faith when the very fact that they have faith is a recognition that they aren't righteous? Because they're receiving it from outside of themselves. They're receiving it from somewhere else. See, faith looks to God to give us righteousness. Faith looks to God to give us sufficiency and enoughness. Paul said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, listen, this is a time that is incredibly shame producing. Incredibly. Incredibly. Most of us feel like we are not enough right now. Whether it's with our spouses, whether it's with our children, whether it's with our jobs. And we're facing stuff and we're, we feel out of our depths. And when we feel out of our depths, I mean, you know, I'm like, how do I keep going? And there's an incredible amount of shame. I feel it. I feel it with my work. I feel it with my, you know, like... I, I realize I'm just not enough of a homeschool teacher, and I, and 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 I, I don't know how to how to how to how to lead the staff when we are all separated. I don't know how to do so many things, and you feel these things as well. And there's an incredible amount of shame because we we don't measure up, and we don't feel like we're enough, and we aren't enough for the occasion and the situation. And what Habakkuk says is those who have faith and trust in God, get Jesus who is enough. That he is for you. And in union with him, you are enough because you receive a righteousness, and enoughness that that is from outside of you. And so the righteous live by faith and they receive righteousness through that faith. And they also receive life. Do you remember Habakkuk's biggest complaint as he started off his second retort against God? Chapter one, verse 12, I believe he asked the question, shall we not die? God, if you send the Chaldeans, if you send the Babylonians, we're going to be wiped out. We're going to be annihilated. Shall we not die? What's going to become of us? What's going to become of your covenant? What's going to happen? God says, no, no. No Habakkuk. You shall not die. You shall not be annihilated. The righteous will carry on. The righteous will live. How? You know, Moses already answered it for us and for Habakkuk. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses says, therefore, choose life. That you and your offspring may live. And what does it mean to choose life, Moses? Tell us. Moses goes on, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days. He is your life. Holding fast to him. That's faith. Cling to, resting in, and relying on God, who is life. We have no life in us, but he is our life. And so, while the proud looks to him or herself to sustain their existence and is unable to receive life and so dies, the one who trusts in grace for his or her existence every moment of the day shall live. How do we make it through? How do we face this adversity? How do we live as flourishing disciples of Christ? Receive. Receive Jesus, who is enough and is your life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.